You're listening to the Doc Lounge Podcast. This is a place for candid conversations with the healthcare industry's top physicians, executives, and thought leaders. This podcast is made possible by Pacific Companies, your trusted advisor in physician recruitment. I am one of your hosts, Cameron Steinheimer, and I am the marketing manager here at Pacific Companies. Hello, and wanted to welcome everybody today to the Doc Lounge podcast by Pacific Companies. I'm your host, Stacey Doyle, Senior Director of Marketing. Thank you for tuning into our Ask the Expert series. Our special guest today is Dr. Gino Calora. Dr. Calora has a PhD and is the author of the highly rated book, Layers of Successful Relationships. A former anti-kidnapping specialist, Dr. Calora became a college professor of human behavior business owner, successful executive, and he's an established behavioral scientist. He knows what it takes not to not only to survive adversity, but to thrive from it. And his book is a deep dive into the fabric of what makes humans connect, grow, thrive, and why so many individuals are failing at creating authentic and meaningful relationships. I am also joined by my co-host, Lisa Shabaro. She is the Director of Business Development at Pacific Companies. So I want to welcome you both today. Thank you so much, Stacey. You forgot Um, to add he's an all-around awesome human being. (laughs) That's that's the most important. We love that. We love that, having having awesome human beings on the the podcast. Um, Well, Dr. Clore, I'll let, you know, you kind of kick it off here. You have a really fascinating background, um, you know, as obviously – a former anti-kidnapping specialist and then turned into professor and now you're an executive kind of share through what were the pivotal moments that led to these um, career transitions for you? Yeah, absolutely. Stacey. So uh, definitely not a traditional path to becoming a behavioral scientist by any stretch of the imagination um, really have taken um, a lot of different turns in life. Uh, I'm very thankful for each one of them. Um, they, each each single pivot that has happened for me is, has contained just tremendous nuggets of value and, and learning and growth and lots of adversity as well, right? So um, started off going back to the, uh, the anti-kidnapping days. So undergrad years, had to make money when I was in college. I bounced at some local clubs in Tampa. That kind of graduated to me going to executive protection school. Kind of picked up a knack for it. I spoke Spanish as well. Um, was uh, in the throes of finishing my master's at the time that I finished EP school, executive protection school, and um, got picked up by a company to go work down in Columbia, South America as an executive protection agent, right? So it sounds really fancy and cool, but I can assure you it's it's not as cool as it sounds. It's it's a lot of intelligence work, a lot of analysis, um, not that much action. There really isn't supposed to be a lot of action in that field of work, right? It's all about preventing and avoiding conflict and issues. But it was an incredible experience for me. And the thing that really stuck out um, was my understanding of cross-cultural interpretation of trauma and stress, right? So living in a new country um, and working with folks who were in the special operations community in the Colombian army um, really opened up my eyes to a new way of, of handling adversity. I was a young guy, right? I was in my early 20s, you know, didn't know left from right, thought I did, but obviously had no idea. And um befriended quite a few of them. So I I began kind of picking up different interpretations of how it is that they achieve resiliency while in combat, because a lot of those guys, the fight that they're fighting, right, every single day, it's it's in their home country, right? They're not halfway across the world. They they come home every night, right? And they have to be dad, right? Or they have to be 
uh, you know, husband or, you know, friend, son, take your pick. So um, their approach to, to trauma and the combat and adversity was very, very different. And it fascinated me. Like It really kind of clicked something like, I really want to study that more. I want to understand that more. But put that to the side, the, the exposure that I had to executives from all over the world, that that was a huge learning point for me as well, to, to watch how they negotiated, to watch how they made deals, um, and, and also the autonomy that they had, right? And the acumen that they had and how they brokered exchanges um, with corporations that were were within South America and Latin America. So that kind of planted the seed for entrepreneurship, right? And, and wanted to kind of learn more about that area of, of business and be able to grow commerce and whatnot. So after a three and a half year stint, came back to the States, took a year off completely, knew I wanted to go back to school and um, ended up matriculating the doctorate program at the University of South Florida uh, in human behavior, specifically a discipline called neuroanthropology. So it's neuroscience mixed with cultural medical anthropology with a keen focus on taking a deep dive into stress, resiliency, relationships, and trauma. So those four areas really were a pivotal component for me. Uh, at the time, I was an avid practitioner of uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and um, kind of use that as a, a focal point of understanding cross-cultural connection and trauma and adversity because it's a very widespread art across the world, especially in the military and tactical community. Anyways, so finished my doctorate, got hired on at a, at a university, university, uh, St. Louis University, to be a uh, professor there in human behavior. Loved it. Loved my time with the kids. It was fantastic. I say kids, young adults. Um and really, really enjoyed it. But I still didn't shake that bug as far as being an entrepreneur, right? Really wanted to get into the world of, of business and put those skills to use. So that graduated into me opening my first company. And it was a, a tactical education firm. So I had um, 27 different classes that were offered over the span of five years, grew it to 21 employees. All were former either special operations in the U.S. or federal law enforcement that were retired and offered a gamut of, of courses for people. Had that company for a total of six and a half, seven years, and then successfully exited from that company and then went into coaching and coaching executives, coaching professionals, right? Teaching them about how to deal with adversity, with trauma, with the hustle and bustle, the grind. And the one thing, Stacy, that kept popping its head up is I'm good at my job. I'm just not good at my job at home. Like there's a big disconnect with the connection that I have with my family. There's a big disconnect that I have with the connection with my kids and my friends. But when it comes to work, I'm, I'm there, right? I'm solid. I'm great. And that's a really big deal, right? I mean, we're human beings, not human machines, right? And so we have to really nurture that side of this interaction. Um, it doesn't matter what field of professional it is. Uh, again, we're human beings. So full circle right now that is where i spend the majority of my time is in the, the coaching space and working with high performing and high achieving individuals to achieve an equilibrium an understanding of the human condition to be able to get realigned and that's a big thing i'm sure we're going to talk quite a bit about today is alignment and how important that is to ultimately achieving peak performance as a human being um so that's the gist love that i think that's a great intro obviously a lot of our audience you know are, are members of this you know, group of people, very high performing, high achievers, um, physicians that, you know, are, are doing, you know, a huge workload at work and then, you know, obviously have personal lives as well. And so um, would love to just kick it off and, and maybe you talk, you know, a little bit about kind of finding this, this balance. Um, and I know your book, you know, seven, seven layers of successful relationships goes into this, but kind of give us a quick overview of that a bit. 
So, you know, when, when you're thinking about, and, and there is no special sauce there as far as the rhyme or the reason behind seven layers is truly when you start pulling back the evidence-based research and you start doing the work, there truly are seven layers that, that make up the bulk of what it means to have a successful exchange and connection and interaction with another human being or group of human beings. But the first layer, right, the most important one is the relationship that you have with yourself, right? So this is a really big deal. And a lot of people kind of hear this and kind of like, what do you mean relationship I have with myself, right? And it's, it's, it's a, it's a great question, right? And it's very simple. The quality and depth of relationship that you have with yourself will always, always define the quality and depth of relationship you can have with somebody else, right? And so that means having that honesty and that just naked understanding of who you are, and more importantly, being confident in who you are, right? And one of the big things about confidence is not to be uh, mistaken with arrogance or cockiness, right? Because that obviously does happen. But the confidence, when you break it down, the etymology from, from a Latin perspective, right, it's confide, right, with faith, with belief in who you are and what you stand for, what your mission, purpose, vision is for your life and the ripple effect that you're going to have when you're no longer walking this earth. So kind of deep, kind of heavy, but it should be, right? Life is fine and it goes by very fast. So what's that imprint? So that's layer number one, right? So understanding who you truly are. Number two is your source, right? And, and there's a multitude of ways that you can go about this, right? But the big thing here is... You are not just you, right? You are part of something so much bigger, right? What is that What is that thing that is bigger to you, right, to your life? What is the thing that's propelling and driving you outside of just you, right, that is giving you that meaning and that purpose that you seek to fulfill, right? Number three is alignment, right? So layer number three is alignment. And this is really important, especially when we start talking, talking about value systems, right? And I think all of us can kind of relate to this idea of, well, you know, this is who I am professionally and this is who I am personally. They're two different people. As soon as I walk, get to walk into the house, I shut off the professional side and I'm this person. And as soon as I walk into the office, I'm the, this other person. And that's just not true, right? Again, we're human beings, not human machines. We like to pretend like we can turn off the switch off and on, but it doesn't work that way, right? So why is alignment important, right? You should have alignment between both identities, right? And, and there should be a very clear understanding of who I am at home doesn't coincide with who I am work and who I am at work doesn't coincide with who I am at home, there's a silent conflict that's happening, right? Subconsciously, right? And that conflict over time will build up, build up, build up. And so when you see folks who are having things like a midlife crisis, or you see folks who are dealing with different levels of disconnection and communication with folks that they love or patients that they serve or clients that they serve, it's something much deeper than just having a bad day, especially when it's a chronic issue, right? There's a deeper thing that's going on there. So then number four, so once you achieve alignment, what is layer number four? Before we even begin to start talking about the importance of articulation, right, let's talk about the importance of listening and how important it is to be able to listen with an open mind. And that is a very cliche saying, right, but it's so true. When you are listening, how are you managing expectations, right? What are the expectations you have of yourself and what are the expectations that you have of the other person? Because expectation management relationships is a really big deal, right? It's a really big deal. And then number five, how you communicate. So this is a really important thing. A lot of people think that it's word choice or tenation, um, body language, and all those things they contribute, right? But at the end of the day, we have to understand the point and purpose of communication, right? We, we communicate as a means of communing, right? Of sharing, right? And we share as a means of building community, right? So it's building relationships. That's the purpose and point of communication, right? So it's not about let me force my point down your throat. 
No, it's what can I build with you? In this time that we have right here, right now, I'm sitting here, Gino Calora. I've got Stacey and Lisa on the line. We have listeners who are dialing. What can we build together right now? It's not just about what my agenda is. And I want to make sure you get. No, it's always a collective, always a collective, right? Um, and then number six, staying open to possibilities, right? All possibilities. It's very easy for us to get narrow focused and what it is that we're doing. And again, it goes back to expectations. What are those expectations that I have of other people? Well, if I'm not staying open to other possibilities of this particular situation and this interaction, I don't know, right, what is on the other side. And if I think that I have all the right answers, which we all know that we don't, right, there's always a better way, always. But that takes a good dose of humility. It takes a good dose of understanding. Again, you're not a machine. You're not perfect, right? All of us have those gaps, right, in our own character and our own person, and we have to recognize that. And then lastly, layer number seven is self-regulation. How do you keep all those things in check? <laughs> right? It's a lot of moving parts, and it's work. Right? It is not easy, but you have to put the work in, right? Because at the end of the day, the impact that you have in relationships that mean the most to you is, is truly what's going to contribute right, to who you are and what you stand for when you're no longer here. What do you want that to be? And one thing I always have my clients do or groups that I work with do um, is write their own personal constitution. All right. So, so sit down and truly no distractions, no cell phone, no TV. Give yourself an hour to two hours and write down on paper everything that you think you are and you think that you believe in, right? Put it to the side, give it about a week, go back and visit it, and then give it to the one person that you believe knows you better than anybody else. Let them read it and then ask for honest feedback. Is that really who I am? Is that how you see me? Very powerful tool. Love that. Well, that's a good assignment for everybody that's listening. <laughs> and and for, I, I want to, I'm going to go do that. Um, and it just shows the power of kind of self-reflection. Go ahead, Lisa. I was just thinking of all the instances there where they're applicable in my mind, just like we think of so many um, families that are high achievers. And I know speaking of that, that, that your wife has kicked off a, a program, I think more geared towards uh, the other aspect, right? That other side of the high achievers. But Stacy, especially with our audience, where we often have times where they're both positions, very highly specialized positions, high chargers, executives, right? We CEOs, COOs. Do you ever notice a um, that there is a collaborative um, partnership or framework that's inherently? Um, taken on by some of these couples that you do see transitioning easier than others. So for example, are there certain behavior patterns? I know in some list in listening to some, there's just a natural pattern, a natural flow, or do you find that it takes more work with two executives or a power couple per se? When, absolutely. So when you're dealing with a power couple, there definitely, there, there is a flow, right? That, that has been established, right? Because this idea of not settling for mediocrity, right? Wanting to achieve the best, the next level, right? That doesn't just happen, right? That there, there's effort, there's tenacity, which means there's structure. Because if you've been doing it over and over again, there's a way in which you've been doing it, right? And so a blueprint is already created, which we often lean on mental models, right? There's mental models that have been established and they create those expectations of how it, and it's really important, how it should be, right? Now, the question is, how often do you challenge the should be, right? And that is where we start opening up the bridge to the possibilities of what could be. Right. So the should be and the could be two very, very important. And it's difficult. I will tell you with power couples that I have the opportunity to serve. It's it, there's a validation already. Right. Well, I've done it this way. It's got us to this point and we're doing all right. 
right? When we start peeling layers back and saying 110%, and in this domain, in this particular silo, it works, right? But you're obviously, we're having this interaction, right, between the three of us right here and right now because you know it can be better. And the question is, are you staying open to the possibilities of what better could look like, right? And if you're automatically saying, yeah, but it's like this, and this is the way that I've always done it, you, you just said it, you've always done it this way. It's not working the way that you want it to, right? And so, and I will tell you, at least like there's, there's some tough love conversations, right? That have to happen there. Right? We have to break certain barriers and, and kind of the neurocircuitry closed loops that exist, right? In the mind, we have to break those and turn them into open loops. And, to, and, and that takes some some pretty intense conversations, right? Um, but 110% of what you're saying, yes, there is typically an established flow out the gate. And I will tell you, it's very interesting because some of the younger folks that I have the opportunity to working with, um, a lot of times the flexibility factor, right? It, it seems to be a little bit higher um, because they will admit, I don't know what I don't know. They haven't quite crossed that threshold yet of the professional success and the validation that comes along with that. Um, and not to say that it's easier because it does bring its own set of challenges, um, but there is, there is definitely a dichotomy there. That's a, I love that question because I'm sure we have a lot of people in the audience that have, you know, have that dynamic um, in, in their families or in, in the relationships. I, I think what would be really, you know, really a, a great thing to review is just how, how do you, you know, are there common mistakes that you see some of these high performing professionals making? And kind of what are those common mistakes and maybe you have a few tips or, or ways of opening, like you're saying, opening the mind to, to um, create new habits. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the biggest things that happens there is, is the misalignment factor, right? The, the, the go, 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 right? And when we start talking about relationship management, um, a lot of times less is more. I mean, truly, it, it doesn't always have to be go, go, go. And you have to be okay with that. And that's, that is a shift in perception, right? It's, it's, it changes the way in which that you perceive the value of your time right, with other people. Um, and whether that's an a intimate relationship or a professional relationship, it doesn't matter. It's human to human connection. Um, and, and this idea of pushing, you, you don't push sometimes, right? There, there's a time and a place to not push. You just have to know when it's time, right, to pump the brake. That would be number one. Number two is understand what your values are, right? And we talk about this right, a lot, but do you actually, like, for example, going back to that constitution, when you read that thing, right, at any given time, at any given day, right, what's the percentage that you're actually fulfilling what's on that piece of paper through your actions, right? I mean, prime example, I can think of umpteen different physicians that I have as clients and as friends as well. A huge component of the Hippocratic Oath, right, is to, to live a, an exemplary personal professional life, right? but yet they have habits that are horrible for them. Horrible, right? I mean, whether it's smoking or drinking or whatever the case may be, right? And it's like, let's talk about alignment, right? You've devoted your life to this beautiful profession of helping and serving and really truly being able to move the needle of humanity, right? But yet you're neglecting yourself horrifically. You're neglecting relationships in your life, which help to kind of identify your existence of who you are and the impact that you have. Don't do that, right? Let's get back to square one. Let's get back to the roots, right, of why you're doing what you're doing. Cut all the stuff out of the fray and just focus on this thing that you fell in love with. Because if we can reignite that, right, and then kind of the relationships and where they're at in your life right now, and we can achieve alignment and equilibrium, that's the goal, right? But the thing about it is we never fully get there, right? Like, again, expectation management, it's a constant work in progress. But if you're not even putting 1% effort forward on it, you're never going to get there. You're never going to begin the journey. 
You think I, so I, I think that's a valuable lesson. Like, yeah, go, go ahead. I was going to say, just say, I think that's a valuable lesson for our, you know, physician audience, because you're, like you're saying, they do have the greater purpose and the greater mission of, of serving others. And, and if, if they're focusing just there and not on themselves, that equilibrium gets, gets off. Lisa, go ahead. Yeah. Well, that's what, what I think you and I, our mind went to the same place because, you know, the big thing physician burnout, especially post COVID, right? Where so many of them, and now uh, what I hear from a lot of my physicians and my executives, we're playing catch up, right? A lot of physicians, a lot of executives took a huge financial hit and now we're playing catch up in a two physician household. That's twofold. And so we're seeing a lot of physicians who re- are just saying, I retire, I can't handle it mentally, I don't have anything left. And then we're seeing the other flow where it says, you know what, I took such a huge financial hit, I have to keep doing this, even though in my heart, I don't know how much longer I can do it. And so what do you think is a good way to some quick realignment tips for our physicians who are at that side of it? Yeah, absolutely. So I think first and foremost, so you, you have to know what you're aligning with, right? So let's go back to the, the value system side of things. So first and foremost, put your values down on paper, right? Your personal values. I'm not talking about a vision statement for a company, like your personal values. What are those things that make you tick, that make you proud, that you know at the end of the day, you are exemplifying those things. That's number one. Number two, right? Commonly known, but self-care in, in the form of make sure you're getting enough sleep, Make sure you're getting some meditation, some quiet time, and make sure your diet right, is, is doesn't have to be great, though we want to strive for it to be. But th- these are the fundamental things, right, as far as building up resiliency and tenacity to be able to, quote, unquote, stay in the game, right? Because if this idea of I need to get realigned because I feel burnout, totally understand, right? Everybody that is achieving at that level goes through that. But if you're committed, right, to, to it being a marathon and not a sprint, understand that you do have time and be okay with it. A lot of these folks, the motivation factor is so high, they want results right now. You have to be okay, right, with it being not now. All right, it's going to come, right? And it's maybe going to be in a different way than you got to where you are. But you have to accept and be okay with the fact that it's going to take a little bit more time than I anticipated. And again, that can be a shift in values, right? Because if this idea is, you know, maximum efficiency, right? And when I'm putting all this effort forward and I'm not seeing the results that I want to see, whether it's economically or patient, whatever the case may be, you have to shift your expectation, right? So the first thing is what exactly am I aligned with, with what I'm doing? And then how does that speak to my purpose as an individual? And if your purpose as an individual, again, goes back to this, this beautiful humanitarian effort of being a physician to help help people who are going through some of of life's adversities, right? And, and whether it's health or psychological, whatever the case may be, you have to be okay with the fact that, look, we live in a different world now post-COVID. I mean, truly, we, we do. It's it's just different. <laughs> I mean, there's, there, I can't wait to see the studies 10, 10 years from now that come out, right? That just kind of longitudinally assess what, what has happened and what's going on. But I see it pre-COVID to post-COVID and folks that I work with. It's not that there's a shift in motivation, but the expectation of things, especially we start talking about like employee retention, right? And morale and how do you deal with those things? I mean, the nursing crisis in and of itself, right? That's a huge thing, right? And I've, I've seen tidbits of it in the world of physicians. I've got a handful of physicians in my family and conversations that we have, especially if they have institutional relationships and they're working in hospitals, wow, it, the culture has shifted in a big way, right? And so that's a beautiful time to kind of go back retrospectively and say, why am I here? right? Where am I going? Right. And what's the expectation that I have as far as the performance, knowing that things have changed, knowing that there's different variables. Now I need to adapt. 
So that's a huge thing too, right? Adaptability, right? Being okay with doing it a different way goes back to that layer of staying open to possibilities. I like that. And I think it's great advice in, in terms of, you know, I one of the topics I wanted to dive into a little bit is, you know, facing, you know, adversity. And I think that probably is a, is a nice leeway there of just, how, you know, what do you do when you're in some of these situations, like you're saying, for, you know, physicians that are um, practicing in, in some of these settings where there may be, you know, increased workload, not as much support as they need. What, what are some advice there that you can give? Yeah. So th- this is, um, it's a simple one-liner, but it's a very powerful one, right? And, and the, the, the simplicity of it is it's do the harder thing, right? Make the harder choice, right? Well, what's hard for you? What is the thing that, it, because if it's hard, it means it's different, right? And if it's different, right, it means that you're changing something, you're shifting something. So when we're talking about dealing with the shape-shifting that can happen, right, especially at, at a sociological level or professional level or personal level, you have to push yourself to operate in a space, right, where you're okay making the harder choice. And as a matter of fact, you embrace the harder choice, right? You lean into the curve, right? That is that adversity, that is that difficulty, and you welcome it because you know every single time you make a difficult decision, it's an opportunity for you to grow as a human being, right? And that is one thing, and this is a, it's difficult because there are times and there's personality types, especially in the role of of high-functioning, high-performing individuals where it's, look, man, I'm I'm at the mountaintop, I'm there, right? Like, I'm, I'm, I don't need to push myself any further and nothing could be farther from the truth, right? Because there's a complacency there, right? There's, there's, yes, professionally you're there. I get it. Right. But as a human being, let's talk about that. Right. Because if you're comfortable, that's a problem, right? I want you to have all the basic needs met, but as a human, you never stop growing. You never stop learning. So invite it, right? Invite that adversity, invite that challenge as long as it's done with balance, equilibrium and alignment. That's the difference, right? If you're doing it and it's an extreme and now it's detrimental, you're not getting sleep, you're stressed out beyond belief, you're getting ready to have a panic attack, nervous breakdown, take take your pick there. No, we're not doing it right. Goes back to less is more, right? Pump the brake, right? Let's smell the roses, take a look around and know it's a marathon, not a sprint. Lisa mentioned this earlier, but we also have, you know, um, healthcare executives that are listening and, and um, obviously Lisa interacts with them a lot from um, our business development side. Um, what, what's some, you know, insights that you can give to leaders that are leading organizations, um, especially, you know, in some of these high stress, you know, circumstances, what, what insights do you give to them to, to, to perform their best? Yeah. You know, so one of the things that's, that's particularly unique to the, to the time that we live in, right, is, is the rate at which the brain has a, an increased operational tempo, right? So at any given day, a human brain is producing 12,000 to 60,000 thoughts a day, right? It's a lot of thinking, okay? Especially when you're a high-performing, high-achieving individual where you're being critical, analytical, right? And those decisions make a really big deal, right? And someone's well-being and health, right? And overall um, organizational success and, and so on. So what I typically tell them is, look, of those 12,000 to 60,000 thoughts, 95% of those thoughts are the same exact thoughts that you had and your team members had the day before, right? And so it is incredibly important to understand that that 5% variance that's there, what's the quality all right, of the thing that's being injected? As a leader, do you truly understand what it means, right, to be a leader? And most folks say, look, if I ask most executives or folks that are at the tip of the spear of an organization and leadership chain, 
there's many different um, definitions that I've been given of leadership, right? Simplistically, what is it? It's your ability to influence others to achieve a common objective. Key word there is influence. How are you influencing? What is the quality and depth of the relationship that you have with them to influence them to achieve that objective? Well, what is the objective, right? And if they don't understand what that objective is, we have a big problem. More importantly, what's the culture that's producing those results that are tied to that objective? Because if it's not rooted in the value system that is part of that organization working for the greater good, and if that value system doesn't align with your personal value system, we have not just an individual problem, we have an organizational culture problem. Right. And then you start looking at issues with retention, with morale. Right. And why it is that performance isn't there. Well, we got to go deeper. Right. And a lot of times there are 50 bajillion books that are out there. Right. On how do you go deeper? How do you unpack certain things? And the, the truth of the matter is there is no quick hack. It's work. Right. You've got to put in the work for this. Right. But it starts from a top down perspective. What is the level of self mastery that that individual leader has? And how is that being pushed out to the organization? Because if it's an expectation where I'm pointing and telling as compared to let me live it, mm, that inauthenticity is felt, right? That is at a gut in the instinctual level. And people like they thrive off of being able to look to somebody else and say, you know what, no matter what, I know what they stand for. I know they have my back and I know they have the greater good at heart. I'm all in versus they're just doing it for a paycheck. That is, that is a huge differentiating factor. I can agree. As you're saying that, I'm thinking some of, of some of my most successful um, recruitment projects with CEOs who you just know they embody that. They are very much servant leaders. What mm -hmm. can I do to support my position? What can I do? You know, just regularly giving those, those hey, great job. Hey, how's the family? Hey, yes. just checking in on you. I have CEOs who make rounds visiting their physicians just to make sure their physicians are happy. And so when those tough conversations have to be had, when you're doing more call than you care to, when the, the hospital finances aren't where they should be and everyone's, you know, kind of nervous, those physicians, like you say, know that the CEO has their back and they're just going to trust he's taking care of it. And it allows them to continue on the focus of medicine. Yes. I see yeah. that. So it sounds so far, so to make sure that I'm understanding correctly, some of the key points are adaptability um, and the ability to, to, I guess, the ability to pivot in certain situations, right? Huge. Yes. Huge. Adaptability. If there was one thing, right, from an organizational perspective that I would really push leaders to embody and, and, and have exemplified in their culture is adaptability, right? Because again, if I'm open to the possibilities of doing something different, Right. I'm okay with it. And it's part of the expectation management chain out the gate, right? There is no, this is how it's going to be, period. We don't live in a time <laughs> where, where that's something, right, that is going to be applicable to every situation, the majority of situations, right? When we're talking about codes of conduct and how it is you're interacting with your team, that's one thing. But the nature of the flow of, of, of work and what's happening in the marketplace, how it is that you're interacting with patients and their families and as well as your colleagues, all those things are subject to change, right? Just depending on what's going on at a cultural level, what's going on you know, within the practice of medicine in of itself, right? There's constant shifts in adaptation as there should be because that's just the nature of growth, right? And so you want to embrace that with open arms, not shun it. And that's where I think we get into a lot of big challenges is that not, not doing it that way no matter what. And that often is a demise of a lot of organizations. You mentioned something and it, and it kind of just triggered my mind. So obviously, you know, with, with our physicians, you know, their interaction with patients is really, really crucial and in, in kind of in healthcare and, and the quality of care that they're 
providing. Um, but a lot of times they may not have a lot of time, you know, it, they might have to be, you know, moving on to the next patient. What are some insights that you would, you know, provide to, to enhance their interactions with their patients um, and to, to develop better relationships? You know, I think there's a, a cardinal rule here that, that is, um, it's often forgot, but it's a really important one, right? And it's not about what you're saying, it's how you're making them feel, right? And when we're talking about quality and depth of interaction between a provider and a patient, regardless if it's a wellness check, right? Or if it's a physician having to deliver some horrific news, right, to a patient, the idea of being able to be direct and be professional, but at the same time, put yourself in their shoes, right? What do you think that they're going to be? And it sounds very, very cliche, but truly it's an art form. And I have seen physicians who are amazing at it, like really, really good. And I have seen plenty who are just, no, onto the next one, onto the next one, onto the next one, right? And so um, I would definitely encourage them that at the end of the day, every single patient, yes, I, I, I get it. You're pushing volume. There's lots of people that you need to see on a regular basis, whether you're doing rounds or it's in the office, take your pick. But every single person, right, whether it's five minutes or 15 minutes, the time that you're there, truly connect at a level to where you can put yourself in their shoes, right? And everything that you can embody and know about their life, put it in terms, deliver the messaging to where you're going to make them feel comfortable. You're going to make them feel like they can trust you. You have that, you're gold, right? You're, 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 you're solid. If you don't have that, right, that is how issues begin to perpetuate with trust, and that is the number one thing when it comes to currency and relationships, um, whether it's at an intimate level, personal, professional, but especially when you're talking about provider and patient, trust is is, is everything, right? And so I, I know that you graduated top of your class and you're the world's best surgeon, and that is beautiful street cred, right? But when I think about the experience that I have with you, right, that time that we shared that neither you nor I can ever get back, right, that's priceless, right? And, and so make the most of that because you're giving them something right? And they're also giving you the opportunity to serve your mission, right? And so it, it's it's a mutual highway. So don't ever forget that, right? Without them, there is no you, <laughs> regardless, because if you don't have anyone to serve, what's the purpose of what you're doing in the first place? Love that. That, that I think is, is very, very well said and something hopefully is, you know, tactical that, you know, our audience can, can really start practicing. I know they are, but it's always good to hear that. It's almost like a refresher of, you know, what, why, how can I improve my um, quality of service to, to my patients? No, well, because that adaptability thing, as you were talking, you know, and you hit something and that adaptability part, I can see where as two hard chargers going back to that other side of life, like that going home part, it's important to have the ability to adapt. And here's what went through my mind. I am happy, right? You called it kind of at the peak, at the mountaintop. But then suddenly I, I see this surgeon who's, you know, taken off and he's growing now and he's doing even better. And I'm thinking, hey, I can do better too. And so I come home one day and I know things were in relaxed mode and we were going to chill. But now I'm thinking, oh, I've got a hard charge. And your partner is thinking, wait, I thought we were going to take off and enjoy the year, take it slow. So I think that's that, that adaptability of being able to, sit back, reel it in, have that conversation of, I have the desire to chase someone, not someone, uh, something like something, my next peak, my next, I have found my next passion. That's not my strength, by the way. I'm very much, this process works. It gets me there fast and right. And so what is that 
starting point of learning to become adaptable. And you would think after having children, you know, because I've got two grown children, and if there's anything that teaches you to become adaptable, it's the fact that children do what children do. But it's it's easier said than done, I feel like. Oh, it definitely. <laughs> How do you look to to within the home and say, hey, uh, let's sit down and let's adjust the rules. I and, and here's why I'm thinking about it, Stacey. There are so many times that we have physicians that we talk to that tell us, I would love to move to Alaska. This, I see my passion there. I know those people need me, you know, because we serve some villages that are greatly underserved. We place physicians there, but my spouse, I just can't get my spouse or partner to move. And so how, how can we foster that adaptability in someone? Do you offer classes for that? Do you, do you have workshops? What are some things that we can start with? Absolutely. So a hundred percent, right? I do offer workshops and classes and I also do a lot of one-on-one -on -one consulting, right? When it comes to that, because each situation is a little bit different depending on personality types and so on. But what I, what I would encourage folks to do and kind of where to start there is, so, so let's start with the end in mind, right? So as a unit, where do we want to be? Right. So whether that's that a 12, 24, 36 month goal, whatever that looks like, where do we want to be? And not just from a professional financial perspective, right? As people, what kind of person do you want me to be as your partner? And what kind of person do I want you to be as my partner? Right. And then how does that align with your personal development goals, who you are as an individual? Right. <clears throat> if we can't start with that end in mind and work backwards. Right. And we're just putting one foot in front of the other thinking, oh, well, this makes sense. Let me put my, the next foot and the next foot without an end in mind. That's a huge problem. And th here's the thing. Folks who are tuning in right now who are high-performing, high-achieving, you understand goal setting very well, right? You yes. know what it takes to achieve, right? So let's just take that same structure, right, and apply it to your personal life and the quality and depth of the relationship you have with your partner. Where do you all want to be? Well, you want to be happy. You want to be fulfilled. You want to have joy. You want to have peace, right? You don't want to come home to chaos. Every single person wants to come home to peace, right? And where you feel loved and you feel appreciated. So how do we get there? Right. Well, let's start with what life looks like 12 months from now, 24 months, 36 months from now. And let's work backwards and let's just ha let's just converse. Let's just talk about it. Right. Nothing's going to change right now, but let's kind of open up the first chapter to what it will take for me to get to that point in 12 months to be the person that I want to be and that you want to be. And we can come together because if we are truly living out that truth, that authenticity right for ourselves, it's going to naturally connect us much deeper as a single unit. And it's going to give us a different perspective on what a happy and fulfilling relationship looks like and that support mechanism that it's going to take, right, for both of us to be able to achieve it. So it's a tough, believe it or not, it is a tough conversation, right, for a lot of folks to be able to sit there and say, yeah, we have the world, but you know what? I want more. And I don't want more in the sense of what you think it is. I want it to be something. I want it to have a different feel, a different texture to life. Well, how do you achieve that, right? Well, I have an idea, but we kind of collectively need to talk about it because this is where I see it in the next 12 months. And this is what it's going to mean to me. And I know if it means as much to me and you love me the way that you do, it's going to mean something to you too. But now let's flip it. Where do you want to be? And let's figure that out, right? And have that conversation. If they did the exercise, if they wrote down their constitution, then they, you know, that I could see how that would be a great yeah. framework for this. Yeah. yeah. You know, and another thing that I have folks do, and it does sound a bit morbid, but it is incredibly powerful, right? And I have them typically a few months into the line of, of working with couples um, or individuals, I will have them write their own eulogy, 
right? And so now we have got this living, breathing document that is your constitution, right? Of what you stand for right here and right now. But now let's talk about when you've crossed the finish line. What do you want it all to mean, right? And now let's do a cross-reference. Now let's compare the two. And now let's have that conversation. That between, I have seen marriages and relationships shift like that, right? Off of those two exercises, right? Because there's things in there the other person had no idea. There's things in the individual had no idea, right? But until they put those thoughts, those emotions, those feelings, those expectations out on paper, they never would have known because how often do we think about that, right? It's not something, the, the meaning side of it, the actual act of that's one thing, but the meaning side of it, that's a different story. Wow. Yeah. It, it And it's about being off, being living your authentic self that's right your yes. true self right yeah um, so that you can look back and yes you know when we're taking those final breaths did we live our life's purpose you know to the best you, you know I, I that's powerful and it's interesting that the, what also went through my head stacy i don't know if it went through years but remember we we're talking to dr jordan cooper um and he said he he put it just very plainly you know we're all dying you have to live a life doing what you love and ideally, if you're able to balance the two, the personal with the professional, you're you're living the life you love. You're living your life's purpose with someone at your side, not necessarily um, in a world of chaos and, and things of that nature. You know, there's a, a wonderful book and it's called The Top Regrets of the Dying. And it was written by a palliative care nurse out of Australia. The number one reason, and this is after a 15, 20 year career for working in palliative care institutions. And she would ask pretty much every patient she had the opportunity to serve the same questions, right? And all of them, the number one thing that came back that was the most prevalent regret that they had was, I wish I'd had the courage to live the life I knew I was meant to live. It was very powerful, right? When you really think about that, how many times all of us, I don't care if you're at the top of the realm in the professional sense or at the bottom, there's masks that we wear, right? There's there's tap dances that we do for other people, right? Not for ourselves that contradict our value system and our constitution, right? And we do it as a means of, well, you got to do what you got to do, right? To get to the top or whatever that next step is, right? And in a sense, okay, right? But at what point does that become a norm? And now that's how you're living your life every single day. Now you're living a lie, right? So what does that mean for the quality and depth of the relationship you have with somebody else if the quality and depth of the relationship with yourself is misaligned? That's a problem, right? And it's a, it, it's a very prevalent issue that we have um, in, in this country right now, um, you are seeing it become a huge issue as far as mental health challenges, anxiety, depression, so on and so forth. It makes a lot of sense. Cause you get, you know, everyone gets in their day-to-day -day routine, everybody gets in. And then when you, you sometimes, I think that's why I love these conversations and, and really appreciate all your insights here, Dr. Kalora about, just taking that step back and reevaluating. Okay, what what really what it what's my ethos? What's my mission? What's driving me? And kind of who? Let me write down my constitution. And, and I think that is would really be such a fulfilling exercise for so for so many of us. It is, and you know, one thing I would tell folks who are tuning in: don't cheat on this, right? Like a lot of us will, like, well, let me go look up an example, or let me go cheat. Don't right? You are yourself. You are your own person, right? And if you are staring at that piece of paper, and nothing's coming out own that, right? And be like, wow. So maybe I need to think about this a little bit more, right? And kind of let those thought processes begin, begin to build a mental model of how it is that I understand who I am and what my ripple effect is. Don't do it just to do it, right? If you're going to do it, make it mean something because it's supposed to mean something. It's supposed to be a pretty big deal, right? And, and it should be. 
I, I want to remind like our audience of the amazing book that they can go and read to really get some of these tools and go step by step. So that's the seven layers of successful, excuse me, successful relationships by Dr. Kalora. Um, Dr. Kalora, I lastly, I would love for you to just if there's one, you know, one big actionable step or one big insight from your book that you think our high-performing healthcare executives and physicians should take away, what would that be? You know, for, for a lot of folks um, that I have the opportunity to work with, um, layer number one, right? And, and again, going back to that relationship with yourself, don't be afraid to look at yourself in the mirror, right? And truly have all your vulnerabilities come out. So many of us put up a facade, right? The, the most high-performing individuals will do this, right? We put up a facade of what those fears are, what those vulnerabilities are, and we avoid it. And we take solace in the strength that we have, right? What we've done, how we've been validated as a professional, how we've been validated as this incredible provider or physician, right? All of us have them. All of us have the vulnerabilities. All of us have the weaknesses. I'm not telling you to live there, right? But recognize them and understand that even subconsciously, they're still gnawing at you every single day. Right. And so to be able to look at that and say, you know, from a strength perspective, how have I overcome those things? Right. It doesn't mean that they're completely gone. Right. They're a part of who I am. But how have I overcome them? Because that begins to bring a new sense of confidence that is very powerful. Right. And that level of confidence opens up the possibilities to what could be, which means adaptability. Right. Because if I know no matter what gets thrown at me in life, I've got the raw skills and the belief in myself that I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to have the right people with me to figure it out, you're already winning, right? It doesn't, you don't have to know what it is, right? You just know that you have the belief in yourself to do it. And that is one thing that we're lacking tremendously that we're seeing from a trend perspective um, in the highest performing individuals, right? They're very good. They're very focused at that tip of the spear thing that they've committed their lives to, but there's so many other facets of the human condition that they have ignored because they're scared to look at themselves in the mirror and to confront it, right? So don't meet it head on. That's great, great advice. So believe in yourself. And, and really, that is the, the first layer of the seven layers of, of, of building successful relationships. And I feel like I've learned so many new tools and, <laughs> and, and exercises that I'm going to go do. I, I don't know about you, Lisa. I've learned so much as well. You, there's just, um, my brain just starts going everywhere, Stacey. You know that I'm just thinking... <laughs> Lots of lots of tips and, and learnings for, you know, our, our audience um, and really wanted to just thank um, Lisa for for introing and bringing, you know, Dr. Gina Clara on today. Um, and obviously all of your studies and learnings, we hopefully can apply in our own lives. So thank you. Thank you both. Oh, thank you both so much for the opportunity. It's been wonderful talking to you guys. And we will um, hopefully include some information on how they can um, reach out to you, how some of our hospital executives can reach out Absolutely. to you on, on one by one. And um, maybe for the counterparts, include um, Mrs. Clara's um, information as well, if that's okay. Of course. Of course. She'd love that. Thank you so much, Dr. Clara. Oh, you guys are so welcome. You all take care. I look forward to talking to you guys again soon. Thank you to all of our listeners. If you would like to be notified when new episodes air, make sure to hit that subscribe button. And a big thank you to Pacific Companies. Without you guys, this podcast would not be possible. If you would like to be a guest, please go to www.pacificcompanies.com. Thank you.